Well, awesome, guys. Hello and happy Friday night to all of you. Andrew, happy Friday night. Happy Friday night. Liz, thank you for joining us tonight. Absolutely. This is awesome. Thanks for yeah. having me. I um I've always wanted to meet you after our fun exchange on the uh, accounting salon Slack group. <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I know that's like more of an inside joke, but uh, everyone in the accounting salon is going, yes, that, that it's a fun, fun interaction. Um, but yeah, I'm looking for a good academic debate. Yeah. <laughs> yes, me too. Yes. Um, okay. You're going to have to give us some, some background on this debate. Oh, there's no, no it's oh, no, debate is probably the, the, the glorified word for it. We were just having a fun discussion on this, uh, this accounting salon that uh, I think Liz has been a part of, and I'm the newbie invited. Um, and so there's a little Slack group that we just, we, we chat on for the people who are going to be participating in the accounting salon in, uh, in, in two months here. Yeah. Um, yeah. In New so. Orleans. It'll be a great time. Yeah. It'll be a great time. So Liz and I were having fun fun conversation about um uh i don't know what we were having a conversation about how do you explain it <laughs> um let's see i was flying a very large feminist flag yeah. um and just you know trying to incite some fun debate with people see what <laughs> happened pretty much yeah yeah so yeah that'll you can come to the conclusions andrew of <laughs> <laughs> So you bit and then got decimated. That's what I'm yeah. getting at. <laughs> uh, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, I, ch I chose to have fun with, with Liz. And then, oh, definitely. And then, I, and then I found that Liz lives in Phoenix, where I was born and raised. And so then I fell in love with her. So I was like, okay, well, I can't. I can't not like her now. <laughs> lives in Phoenix. And uh, easy to not like, but it's okay. There you go. Well, um, well we're going to have a lot of fun tonight, Liz. I'm really glad you joined us tonight. And yeah, me too. Yeah, so the, t the topic tonight um, is going to be about scope creep in dealing with your customers in general. Is that when, like, your underwear rides up your butt? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a different kind of creep. Yeah, oh. yeah. and I'm sure, okay, I'm I'm sure that's that, wedgie creep. Yeah, oh, I'm sure right, that right. female right. female firm owners still have to deal with that with their customers, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> generally. Uh, you know, us men don't have to deal with that with our customers, but um, okay, you know, Liz, it's, it's a real a, problem. It, it is. Are, are there secrets on how you deal with? That? <laughs> Basically, you learn to accept it. There you go. There yeah. you go. <laughs> the the scope or the creep? Like which one? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, and so this is great. I'm I'm gonna love this show. <laughs> this is gonna be. <laughs> Um, so Liz, this, since it's your first time tonight and, and Hector's yeah. a little late, I, I'd love to love for you to share a little bit about your firm and about yourself a little bit for, for those, um, you know, meeting you for the first time. Yeah, for sure. So I am an absolute nerd and that shows through in all the ways. But I started High Rock Accounting six years ago with the idea that I could change things and I could change an industry with this like powerful, I'm going to just go do it and then maybe people will catch up, uh, which has been a lot of fun and actually has been quite successful on the firm side. I'm not sure about the actual changing of an industry, but I'm still working on it as you guys are as well. <laughs> uh, we have about a dozen people now. I'm actually running three firms simultaneously. So High Rock is our core business and what has, you know, 
built up into our outsourced cloud accounting services business. And then I also spun off our tax department. So we all have the department.tax is what it's actually called. And we do outsourced tax, white labeled, complete white glove service, like start to finish, you get a tax partner uh, for other cloud accounting firms. So that's been quite successful as well. And we have three people over there and we're growing pretty quickly. This tax season was a great testament to that uh, for model working very well. So this summer will be lots of fun growth on that side. And then I also run a firm called Rebel Rock where we are focusing on cannabis. So we're doing outsourced accounting services for cannabis. So your biggest problem with scope creep is yourself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just keep starting new companies. Yeah. I actually had a meeting with my general counsel today and she was like, okay, so I have like 10 different, you know, entity documents for you. Are we missing any in this file? What's going on? I was like, oh yeah, actually I did start two more. So let's talk that, about it. That's, great. <laughs> that's awesome. And are you um, are you having like this is each week you have more fun with one firm versus the other or um, is it all exciting and in the same? I really like building things and then I get bored when they're built. Yeah, yeah. So um, I get really excited about the forefront of getting things to where they need to be. And then I lose interest for a while and then I go, oh, wait, I can't just put things on autopilot. I actually <laughs> have to run these companies. So then we get back into it. So yeah, I guess week by week, maybe hour by hour or second by second. That's it depends. <laughs> that's really, really great. Well, that's exciting, Liz. It sounds like you are a, a serial entrepreneur yes. and, um, and have a lot of fun. And I hope that you do uh, transform the industry because it is, it is like a slow moving cruise boat. I don't know. Yeah. And uh it needs a lot of change and transfer. Well, we're like the Titanic right now, except we, like people aren't aware of this iceberg that we're actually <laughs> headed towards and things are about to hit and we're going to break and half the industry is going to die, like actually die because they're right, really literally. Um, but, but I feel like we're on the, this boat and, you know, the few of us that can like look out of these giant scopes and see the iceberg are like, oh shit guys, like look. Like really look, like open your fucking eyes and look. And what do you think will be? And they're gonna leave it into our hands, Andrew. Can you imagine that, and Liz? Like they're gonna leave it in our hands. I'm going really. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Yeah. It's like no, no, like please. The please scary future. <laughs> but what do you, do you think? There, do you think there will be an actual event, an actual iceberg, that will cause the tipping point, or is it just gonna be this slow, gradual? ease into the future because i'd always thought that there would be this big massive tipping point where all of a sudden we'd get you know people go okay shit we're behind the times like the accounting industry is always done with pretty like much people stop right? manufacturing file cabinets yeah <laughs> all, of a, all of a sudden <laughs> all of a sudden nobody yeah. manufactures file cabinets anymore and the accounting industry collapses yeah, yeah. or printer sales just drop all of a sudden <laughs> Oh my God. Did you guys know that you can still buy 10 column paper? Oh God. Like I, yes. I learned this the, like a couple of weeks ago and I had to tweet about it because I was freaking out. I didn't know that that was a thing you can still buy. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, really, but That's to answer your question, I don't know that there's going to be like an actual event. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the more 
the business owners are educated on how they should be serviced, the more they'll demand better service and more innovative service. So I do think that there will be a big revolution. Yeah. That's really, that's really great that, you know, I, I, I totally agree, Liz. Um, and that's actually a great segue into our topic tonight because uh, scope creep is definitely something that we've all dealt with and is a com- often a common um, thing that occurs. Um, daily. With, yeah, daily, <laughs> exactly with clients. And, and, and there's all different angles it deals. Um, it comes, it comes at you in regards to scope creep. So, um, you know, the topic about how, how do you deal with scope creep? with your customers, but I think also how do you get your team and the different members of your team to deal with scope creep? So I'd love for, to hear from about your experience with your firm or firms you've been with before on how you, if you, if you have a formal process or if you have a non-formal process of dealing with scope creep and, and what you do about that. And so Andrew, why don't you kick us off and kind of talking about that um, on, on scope creep or, or, or are you guys perfect on how you <laughs> sell and how you deal with your customers. Yeah, well, let, I mean, let me tell you about where we went wrong with scope creep early on. Um, so what, like pricing is an art form for sure. Um, and in our early days, um, being so eager to get into value pricing, um, we made a couple of classic mistakes, like not defining the scope well enough. Um, and then had to had to basically eat our shirts on the first couple of clients because um, we hadn't actually done the work to define the scope, um, which is definitely you know some of the things I'm guilty of is I want to get I want to get going as quickly as possible. I'm not you know uh, the typical accountant who wants to dot the i's and cross the t's and take the time to get everything perfect. I'm a little bit more of the entrepreneur that just wants to let's get moving. I'm very impatient. Um, so I think that my biggest lesson learned was that it really is a necessity that if you're um, if you're going to value pricing, you really have to make sure that you're dotting your I's and crossing your crossing your T's to to define what the scope is, um, because I think that you know it's like anything you make these assumptions that they'll they'll know that that's not included or no they'll they'll know that this is included no they won't. You have to make sure you have to spell it out in black and white and talk to them like they're a three-year-old child. Um, and and, and, and very I don't know, maybe customers. And and you know what that that wasn't my client's fault. That was my right. fault, right? That was right. the mistake that, that I made. Um, and so we're we're much, much better in that now, um, in defining the scope, but we're still every year we're learning about, you know, we always like people can always find loopholes in your pricing uh, or your pricing structure. So you've got, I'm basically, you know, always putting my finger in a dam trying to figure out, okay, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? Um, How do we adapt? And then of course, when things start to, I think one of the other problems that we've also encountered is um, when things begin to, um, to creep, um, how do we deal with that? And particularly with us, it was um, making sure that it was identified early enough. Um, cause it's not okay from my perspective for us to go back to a customer when, when the project has gone out of scope to be like, Oh, you're out of scope now. So we're going to have to charge you more. Like there needs to be some lead up to that. Like, th- and, and we, there are trigger points. There are identifiers when things are starting to go off the rails and are going in a different direction. Um, and oftentimes our team would see those, those identifiers or those triggers, but they wouldn't act on them because they didn't want to have that pricing conversation. 
Um, so they would sort of just pretend like that nothing was happening yet. We're in the scope of the project. We're in the scope of the project. Head down. Oh my God, we got to the end of the project and you know we've done work that we shouldn't have done and now we can't bill for it. Sorry, Andrew. You know, so those were the lessons we've had to learn. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's an ongoing lesson. We we're still um, we still struggle with it. At least we've gotten to the point where we're not eating our shirts anymore. Um, that that's a good, I guess, a good milestone. But uh, I'm sure you've dealt with similar issues or other issues. How about how about you, uh, Mike? Yeah, yeah, no, I've de- I've definitely dealt with similar issues. Uh, I I I you know I dealt with it this week. It happens like literally every day or every week. And I think there's there's multiple perspectives. There's um, the salesperson, right? You're, are, whoever does sales, whether it's you as the firm owner or a salesperson on your team, who is, um, you know, and, and the kind of the the focus me and my salesperson are having is grow the grow top line revenue and don't don't confuse the customer with so much detail about scope in their contract that it prevents them or gives them hesitancy. And so we 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 actually don't actually detail out. Um, every single uh, activity or task that's a part of our agreement. We actually use general terms for that. Um, you know, like, you know, for example, monthly reconciliations or, um, or uh, managing accounts payable with bill.com or something. We'll try, we actually use general terms. We actually stay straight away from detailed task lists. So that obviously that prevents us from giving a detailed task list to our team. Um, and the reason we do that is we are actually giving ourselves a room to, to be able to have the scope conversation when we feel like it's creepy or creeping. <laughs> so, and, um, and so, and, and what we find is that the more detailed you get, you may be more defined for your team, but it, but it actually slows down the sales conversation and then it slows down growth for a firm. So we're playing in that right now, my sales guy and I are trying to play in that. How do we not slow down growth um, but also give our, you know, onboarding and delivery team something they'd be happy with and not feel like, you know, they're, that they're, they're confused about, about scope. Um, but yeah, but uh, how, Liz, Liz, how about you? What, um, what is, has been your kind of experience in regards to, in regards to this area? You said daily, so you must deal with it all the time. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's probably the first, I don't know, two years I was in business. I was not profitable because of scope creep because every client wanted everything and they have this interpretation of the word like outsourced controller. And to them, that means that you're going to do all of the finances and all of their insurance and all of their HR and like all of these random state filing things and like read their mail. (laughs) And don't forget IT. (laughs) Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to fix their computers too. So it's like all in you're going, but that's not even close to accounting. Like what? I don't, okay. Um, And so, you know, being a people pleaser and hiring a lot of people pleasers is a terrible idea if you want to be a profitable company. Um, I can tell you that from personal experience, right? So I built this team of people that were like, great and eager to help all our clients and were, you know, happy to jump and do all the things. And then we started actually analyzing what we were doing. And I'm like, holy crap, guys, like, this isn't even close. Like we're supposed to be doing accounts payable for this one company. And like, you're telling me we're managing their workers comp insurance audits (laughs) and we're like outbidding their health insurance. Like, what is this? Like, who are you? What? You're not an accountant anymore. Um, 
So we kind of took a hard stop on that and redefined all of our engagements uh, probably about three years ago now and went through all of our engagement letters and redid the entire thing. And we threw out what we had and started over and our engagement letter is much more simple, but we do have a scope of work on the back or a statement of work that's very detailed. So it doesn't have like task items on it, but it has accounts payable this price, accounts receivable this price, mm. monthly reconciliations this price. Um, and then if we're doing anything on top of that, it has like specifics as to what we're doing or what pieces of it we're doing. So for handling payroll, it specifically says, we're not approving your people's hours. We're just running payroll right? We're not going to manage them or figure out their timesheets or like go back and talk to them about their sick mothers that they're taking care of and why they had to take three weeks off. Like that's not our deal <laughs> at all. <laughs> you approve the timesheets, we run the payroll. Um, and so after redefining that, my team had a much easier time understanding what they were to do and how they were to help clients versus what was out of scope. Um, and so now it's gotten a lot better. We still have a few people that tend to just do more because why wouldn't they? And we have one person in particular who's excellent. He's also has a military background and he's like very good at being like, nope, that's not my job. <laughs> nope, not my job. Um, but we've gotten him much more eloquent at having those conversations with our clients instead of just being like, nope, nope, constantly. So, um, yeah. That's great. That's great, Liz. Hector, hey, thanks for jumping on. And uh, what are, what are your thoughts so far about this topic? Give us your uh, give us your Hector Sage advice on scope creep. Hey guys, how are you? Hi, Liz. Nice to meet you. Hey. Um, I didn't catch the whole thing, but I assume we're talking about scope creep, right? Yeah. Um, you may have covered this already, but there, I guess there's two types of scope creep. The the one, <laughs> the the one that you agreed that that wasn't part of your job and the customer will pretend like they didn't understand that you didn't have the conversation, which is, it has a whole level of complexity by itself. And, and there's the one that was not discussed, right? That is, that it, that it catches us by surprise completely. And I think it is important to be able to separate the two, uh, compartmentalize the two, be, be able to treat each one as his own little monster, just because, it's just not good or not healthy to treat the client negative when they ask you for something that you guys just didn't discuss. I mean, if the client's making the assumption you're going to do it, that should be flattery, not anything else. Right. right? That means that they're trust and trusting you with more stuff. Now, if you didn't discuss it, that could have been two reasons. One, your conversation, your onboarding conversation just wasn't good enough. Right. Two, the onboarding conversation went in that direction and you avoided it because you know that you want to avoid those conversations just because it's going really well and now it's going to turn into something negative because we're going to talk about what we won't do. And a lot of us try to stay away from the negative stuff or, 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 or avoid saying no's and like Liz says, we're people pleasers and we'll, 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 we'll try to stick within the stuff that we can shake our head yes to. Um, so, so, so for, for those particularly, I think that the only antidote, and we, we all need to be proactive about this, is to have the type of engagement that either you or your client can disengage at any point in time. Right. Like it, that, that's the first antidote. Like never get into a 12-month contract or six-month contract unless you have scoped this really, really well and discussed all the possibilities. 
The second antidote is you also need to be okay with losing the client. You have to have the confidence. You have to have the pipeline. You need to have the um, just the cash flow, I guess, to be okay with losing the client. When that piece, when that non-scope or out-of-scope item comes in, if you can't afford to lose the client, you're probably just going to say yes to it. And so the problem I think is, that that's a mindset. Yeah. The, yeah, but, like, the mindset is you can't afford to lose the client. Right. But if right. you have a bad client, you can always afford to lose <laughs> well, it, yeah, that, That's true. I was talking, I, I'm, I'm literally saying that the mortgage is due tomorrow. I have no money in the bank and my monthly client payment's coming in and I'm using that money to pay the mortgage because for some folks, that's, that's the business they run, okay? So, but beyond that, right? So beyond that, right? so let's say that we, 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 we can solve this with mindset and it's not a real cash flow problem. But that's the big, the big issue is it's the, when you say yes once, then you have to, you can do a long qualified yeses. Like the way I do a, a qualified yes is I'm going to do this work for you. Um, it's $350. I'm going to go ahead and comp it out of courtesy. I'll send the customer the invoice and show them the comp and put under it one-time courtesy or first-time courtesy or something like that. I have to display the value of the work that I'm doing before I comp it. Because if you say yes and you don't, you don't, you don't act that that's a transaction, a separate transaction, a separate job, mm. it's going to be, it, it will get increasingly worse, basically. Like they will ask for things or push the envelope. And then customers are not being bad or evil. They, they just don't know. If, they, if you didn't talk about it, they don't know. If you don't invoice it, they don't know. So a lot, of, a lot of times I get this, I get this issue all the time. A customer will, some, will ask for something that's out of scope and I'll say, hey, do we have time to talk about it or do you just want me to take care of it? And most people just, it was a rhetorical question. They say, just take care of it. So, okay, I do. I take care of it and I, and I invoice it. And when they come back and complain, it goes, hey, what happened? I thought this was included. It's not. Are, are you disappointed by the invoice? Yes, I'm disappointed. Okay, I'll go ahead and comp it. Just so you know, next time you ask me to take care of something, ask me for the price, right? Because <laughs> if I ask you if you want to talk about it, it's because we want to discuss it. We want to scope it. So it, it gets really confusing with the best of with the, with the worst clients. It's not confusing because we are we, we we send those invoices with a smile in our face. We're like, you know what? Please complain. Please give me a reason to, to kick you out, right? But with our good customers, it gets a little bit confusing because we want to keep the customers. We want to please them. We enjoy doing that work for them. In many times, we are the ones that stepped into the mine and we we planted the idea in their head to give us that out-of-scope work. And, and it just showed up at the time that we weren't ready. So I think it's just important to separate the two and then not automatically retaliate to the customer with, oh, they're being bad, they're being evil, they're, they're pushing. They're trying to make us unprofitable. A lot of these customers, that's not what they're trying to do. They, 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 they want to use us because they admire the quality of our work, because they think we're smart, because they think we're efficient, because we add value to their business. They're not being bad or evil for the most part. So I think a lot of folks just react negative to, towards it. Any of the conferences that we go to, everybody speaks about scope creep, like, oh, they're bad clients and they're bad. Get rid of them. And even in, in our Facebook group, the minute that every, every time somebody puts a post that, hey, my customer's asking for this, the immediate reaction is get rid of them. You don't need them. It's like, dude, relax. You don't even know the customer. You don't know the backstory. 
He's not a bad everything. boyfriend. Get rid of right. him. Right. <laughs> but but that's the thing. It's 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 every time you you frame it like that, they're 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 expecting extra work for free. I don't want no scrub. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean I, I think that maybe I think that maybe one of the I think that maybe one of the challenges is that people automatically think this is the customer doing something wrong. And I think for the most part, scope creep, it's our own fault for two reasons. One, because we didn't talk about it. If we are the experts, why can't we foresee this? If we are niche and specialized and we work with the same type of client over and over and over, couldn't we have this conversation up front? Like, hey, by the way, a lot of my customers, this happens to us in the first three years of our engagement. IRS letter comes up. How would you like me to deal with that? The banker calls to ask a question for a line of credit increase. How would you like me to deal with that? The lawyer is asking me a question about whatever. How do you want me to deal with that? An ex-employee is complaining about the W-2 amount. How do you want me? You you have to, you're supposed to be the one that knows this stuff. You have to have this conversation up front. So I invite you or anyone that's looking at this has ever looked at scope creep as this big evil thing to look within yourself what have what could you have done better in your communication, in your onboarding, in mm. the way you talk to your client and the way you react to it to prevent it from happening? And I think Christian actually asked a question if any one of us or anyone in the community is actually using any specific tools to communicate the scope to the clients. What's your uh, process? Maybe, Mike, you can give us some feedback on what your process is on how you communicate scope to your customers. Um, I send them a creep. And then we're good to go. <laughs> no, uh, um, no, on, on scope creep, like I said, so our, I think it starts with our sales sales process. We try to we try to keep our sales process very simple because we we at the end of the day, most customers that come to you literally have no idea what you what, what we do. They don't know what we do. They know the res- end result, which is a financial statement that the bank will accept, or uh, a tax return that the IRS will accept a refund or a limit, you know, lowest number payment that the IRS will accept um, or advice, advice they can take for their business. So they, they know the result. They don't know how we get there. And honestly, they don't care. Most, most of our, most of our customers don't care how our bookkeepers do their magic, whatever it is, or our team does their magic. And so it starts with the salesperson simplifying the process. And then the, um, and then the onboarding experience or that customer's experience that shifts from sales to then onboarding to our to to reconciled and basically what they the expectations that are set from that sales then to onboarding then moving over to the bookkeeper what expectations are set and uh, what's communicated to them so a review of the contract with them the things that we'll be handling access that we will need how they how they how do they reach us? You know what kind of questions and how do they send it to us? Um, and then introducing them to the bookkeeper. And one one example around scope creep, um, which is not necessarily detail or, or task oriented. It's more of okay, um, when it, when should a client expect uh, a response from us? Right? If they send an email, how how long should it take to get a response? Or um, if they are on a different time zone. Uh, on, if they're on different time zone, like West Coast time zone, should they be able to contact or hear from us after 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time since we're on standard Eastern Standard Time? So we'll try to outline all of those things within the sales process, the onboarding process, and when, when the bookkeeper gets started. And I'll tell the book, our bookkeepers, if you respond to client emails at midnight 
EST even once your customer will expect that you will keep doing that. And when you stop, when you stop doing that, they will complain to us. They will, they will bring it up the chain that you're not responding fast enough. And I tell them, so do not do it unless you expect to do it on a regular basis. (laughs) Do not, do not do it once. If you, if you do not want clients to expect you to respond at 10 o'clock at night or respect you to take a, expect you to take a phone call during dinner with your family don't set that expectation with customers. So there's, I think that fits in overall, there's the task items, but there's, uh, there's also just expected behavior or expected um, experience that the customer puts into it and that you have to set the tone for in regards to managing what I would call almost behavior creep or, or how they're going to interact um, with, with you or firm. Liz, how about you? What, uh, how, how, are, how are you dealing? How else are you dealing with some of this? So to answer the original question that you kind of ignored, um, do we use any tools? (laughs) (laughs) We do. Um, We use a tool called Active Collab, which is a project management tool. And we invite our clients in to see their projects so they can see what's happening. We also use Flowcast, which we don't invite our clients into unless they're being audited, um, because then we create all the audit work papers through there, which is really awesome as well. Um, but in Active Collab, you can see kind of the specific projects that we're working on and then any out of scope projects as well. So they know and they can see how much time has been put into it because we do bill out of scope generally by the hour. Um, we do project based out of scope as well as a choice with our clients. But most of the time they choose to bill by the hour, which I don't know why because they end up paying more, but whatever. Um, so to deal with like out of scope in general, we do try to set expectations up front, which can be fun and difficult. Um, and then I also changed the way we did our um, proposals because originally we were doing proposals with like three packages and then we're like, pick a package, right? Like, what do you want? Um, and then, you know, clients don't know what they need at all. And so I was like, I kept, they kept picking the cheapest package and I'm like, this is bullshit. Like you're not going to get what you need and then you're not going to be happy with us. So many of those relationships went sour because they're like, we need more. And I'm like, you have to pay for it. And they're like, oh no, I'm used to paying a thousand dollars a month. I'm not going to up services. Like you just need to be better. Liz, can I ask a question? Yeah, absolutely. You're offering a package that you know for a fact is not good for them or too little for them. I did when I started. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> this is like the how to mess up and learn from it yeah. thing. <laughs> let, let me get, Revolution. let's see if we can extract uh, what seems to be an incredible, incredibly important nugget of, of knowledge here is that the customer's used to paying a certain dollar amount or is mm-hmm. coming from a different accountant and their expectation is a different dollar amount, or maybe they never had an accountant and they came to you and said, hey, we got a quote from Joe Blow accountant down the street, it's 500 bucks a month. We wanna work with you to see if you can do something better for us or whatever. And what you're saying is don't create an option that accommodates their expectation or, or their whether, whatever they're comparing to just because you want to give them an option that that does that yep. if the services are going to be so limited that it's going to be a bad service anyway yep absolutely so, so at least what you're saying and I've, I've said this in conferences before you're saying that not the cust- customers are not always bad because they're born to be bad they can turn bad because of us 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's <laughs> like multiple occasions. I can tell you it was 100% my fault that those client relationships failed. Wow. Um, and it was because I underquoted them and I you didn't underpriced it. You underquoted underpriced it underpriced it and I didn't give them the service that they really needed for their business because they had budget constraints or expectations mm -hmm. that were outside my power um, and wanted to work with it. So I made it work. And then so what they, happens is you force it to work at 500 bucks a month, whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. What they really need at a minimum is a $1,500 a month service. You figured, hey, I'll get my foot in the door. I'll enamor the client. I'll help them make more money. Then it'll be easy for me to go from 500 to 1500. And then you realize that that's very difficult to do. Yeah, it never that, works. Because the, they're anchored at that price. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's, what's funny you can is- justify anything when right. you're like trying to sell, right? <laughs> and, and, what's, and what's funny is, Liz, and, 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 and you probably have seen this in both people leaving you and you taking new customers. Somebody would pay another accountant just because they're changing 2000 before they pay you 1500 after two, three years of relationship. They don't have to, you know, they, don't, they, they can get better quality paying less but because the contrast is so high within the same service person that they're willing to pay a lot more just because they're changing because that, that change is the opportunity to, 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 to give the client a different set of expectations. So what we're getting from you here is, you know, don't try to triple your fees two years later because it's just not going to work. Like if you know this customer is going to need something that you, they, that you cannot afford to provide at 500 bucks, don't even give them that option. Agreed. Agreed. So we completely changed our proposal. So now we have a base package for the company that includes like just the basics, but we have everything else as um, add-on price with what they need. So we say you must have this plus accounts payable, plus accounts receivable, plus payroll for us to work with you, let's say, as an example. Um, and then if they want to add controller services for that particular client, we can say that's an option for you. Um, but we won't price the base level is the base that we'll work with them at. Um, and so it's been a lot better since we changed that process. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. And it sounds like you, it sounds like your customers are happy and you've been um, the, you probably, it sounds like you probably had less scope group and less complaints later on or less. Yeah, it definitely defines scope a lot better. Although I did have a really recent weird scope problem. Um, we had a client we were not doing tax for at all. We were only doing bookkeeping and they started asking super complicated 83B questions, um, like out of the blue. So I get this email about this and I'm like, that's bizarre. So I responded with like a, this is how it works for super high level, like, you know, maybe a 10 minute email, good luck, right? Like maybe that's all they needed. And then he came back with like legal documents and a whole like situation of what was occurring and like asked for an opinion on how to fix this, like, you know, 83B election that went wrong. And I was like, no, um, <laughs> this, what, like, okay, you're a super base camp, basic bookkeeping client. So I responded and I'm like, Hey, like, I'd be happy to do this tax research for you. Our tax research, like for my time is $300 an hour. Like, do you want me to continue? And I got this email back that was like, no, and I don't want to continue services with you at all. Wow. And I was like, holy crap. Okay. Like, fine. Wow. <laughs> That's really, it's, it's almost, so it's almost like they were trying to ease you into giving free services and then they decided to just 
cancel you in general. It's just, yes. that's kind of interesting. Which is just super weird. It was the most bizarre situation I've ever had with that. Let, let me ask a question on that. So the customer had a, a major change in which they were doing something with 83B has to do with employee stock exchange and it's a yeah it's an election to be taxed for um stock options that are issued right. yeah it's like, obviously not every company goes through that that's a very no. unique situation and, yep. and the company was funded probably about to go public or about to be bought, bought out or something like that right but i uh, know they're a really small company and they right. just they had a random question stock that, grants yeah. to their um a few long-term employees but what if, if you i think let's see what we can learn from this if you could have gone back to the beginning of the engagement, maybe six months before that happened, how would you have foreseen that the customer was going to ask you a weird, obscure tax question that required research that they were that was going to trigger them to get pissed because you weren't going to give it to them? So what do you think you could have done? What, what could have you done? Obviously, there's a million possible things. Yeah, you know, you know, honestly, I think it would go back to the onboarding. I'd have to talk to my implementation team and see what the conversations were at the start um, with them. I know from the start that they were very price sensitive. Um, and so they wanted to go with a very basic, like bookkeeping only package, which for their company was fine. I mean, they more pre-revenue and small and didn't need a lot mm -hmm. of reporting. So, um, and they were self-funded. So it's not like they had big investors, right. um, but yeah, no, I would have to go back mm -hmm. to the implementation team and see if there were any triggers. No, I, I doubt it. Them off so uh, much. Yeah. Right. Just want to say one thing, Andrew, price sensitive customers don't quote sections of the tax code. Like those two things just don't go together. Like somebody doesn't say I'm price sensitive and also have an 83 section 83 B question. Like those things almost never go together. <laughs> well, I can, I think I, no, no. I, I mean, so Hector, I, I actually think I can relate to this um, because 83 B relates to stock options for you give to your employees. And if your employees don't do their 83 B election early on, then they kind of get, they, they actually can get screwed later in regards to the, the tax treatment of their stock options. And so small companies that, you know, they want to act like startups that are going to grow very fast. And so they're trying to incentivize employees to stay long-term. So they do these 80, you know, they, they give the stock ups to the employees and the, the employees like, oh yeah. And then they forget to do the 83B. Um, and so all these legal questions come up and all these tax questions come up. And, and so I think that probably an employee just came and said, Hey, uh, I know you gave me the documentation on 83 B, but I forgot to do it. What do I do? Or whatever. And they ask Liz, you know, and Liz, the one, you know, and of course they go, well, let's ask the, the bookkeeping firm that we use. The owner's a great tax person. I'm sure she'll answer this for free for us. Right. Like I'm sure they'll, that, you know, and it's like, that's a, a wrong assumption, a bad assumption to make, but I, I see price sensitive customers ask for, ask for free advice all the time and they mm -hmm. ask for free advice on the things that are clearly as you know as liz as you're saying like clearly it's like first of all this is like way out of your wheelhouse you're 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 a basic bookkeeping client yeah. it's like why are you even you're you're not even making revenue to worry about this but sec you know and and why are you even playing around with uh uh incentive stock options right now at your size right and then secondly like you know i i this even relates to a, a, a kind of a larger question in my mind is it feel like those smaller clients that are price sensitive around scope creep, 
they tend to be the ones that force scope creep conversations more and don't want to pay for it than the bigger clients that, you know, they're paying three, four, five, six thousand a month to you to do a ton of stuff. And they know it's almost like they know preemptively they're asking you to do more. And they'll, mm-hmm. and I'll say, have a client say, Hey, I know this is out of our scope. Just charge me. They'll just say it. They're like, mm-hmm. I know this isn't in our contract. Just charge me. And right. I go, why is it that the customer that pays so much more money is just ready and willing to pay more? And then the customer that doesn't pay money, you know, doesn't pay the, um, uh, a lot at all is wanting to get nickel and dime everything out of you. I, I, and I have no science around that. It just seems to be the, the feeling I get around dealing with customers. I don't know if that's common for you. Andrew, is that a common thing for you? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think one of the things I was going to say is, you know, there's a lot of psychology that goes into this too. I mean, it reminds me of a, the very first bad review that we ever got on Google is a client who actually came back to us fairly recently and <laughs> signed up with us again. Um, and when we signed him up, one of the conditions of signing up with us was he had to take down his Google review. Um, but we asked him about it and he said, you know, listen, the, the reality was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really you guys. I said it was you guys, but I was in a bad position in my life right then and there. And you guys ended up bearing the brunt of that. And I was just angry and, and uh, a whole bunch of things. And I think particularly when you talk about startups who go through a lot of peaks and valleys, and pe- especially when they're self-funded, I, I the first thing that comes to my mind because of the bias of my recent experience with this client who came back to us is, are there other psychological issues there that are causing him to be an asshole? Um, you know what I mean? And because it sounds like this guy was just <laughs> being an asshole. Um, <laughs> this is weird. So, sorry, are we, are, did I screw your rating again, Mike? Sorry <laughs> um, for the podcast. But, you know, I think the, the reality is, is there's so much psychology in dealing with clients. Um, you know, you, you're first of all going to get people who have bad days, good days and how they, they take that out on you. But then there's also the fact that there's some people, and, and this can also be culturally based too. Uh, there's some people who feel like they have to haggle on everything. There's some people who feel like they got to get every dollar out of it. There's some people who have a different perspective on time, value, and money. And particularly those people who are earning a lot of money put a greater value on your time because they put a greater value on their own time. So you have to look at, at the individual that you're dealing with and look at how they're approaching things and say, well, is this the type of person that puts a lot of value on time? Is this the type of person who puts a lot of value on finished product? What are the things that that this individual uh, values? And, and everyone values things differently um, and how they'll approach it will be based on how they value things in their lives. Mm. And so I think it's, it's not an easy task. It's an impossible task, uh, but you've got to try to get inside their headspace try to figure out, well, what, what's causing this particular issue? Because was it really like, and, and who knows what, maybe it was an employee who came to him with an issue. And then maybe when he gave the response back, that employee's account was saying, okay, well, what about this? And he felt like he was being pinched between a rock and a hard place and didn't have the answers. Couldn't afford to go to a, a tax uh, accountant because he, he was self-funding and cash flow strapped. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he wasn't. Um, but for whatever reason, he felt like you were the only person to go to um, and and felt for whatever reason um, that he was put into a bind, which, in my opinion, he created. And I still think he was an asshole. Um, but I, I bet if you could find out the psychology behind that, 
Um, you probably could have potentially kept them. You may not have wanted to, but you probably could have kept them and helped them to realize, like, look, this is this is a complex tax scenario. I'm a bookkeeper. <laughs> um, and let's make sure that we can connect you to the people who can ask that or connect your employee or whoever the case is and get them the answers that they need. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's me on my soapbox about psychology for 30 seconds. <laughs> you got really uh, deep. Hector, yeah, well, I don't. Hector, you've got to have some thoughts on that, the psychology of clients. Um, I'm not a psychologist, but I'll show you um, a document that I use when I'm doing my, at, at this point, a, a lot of these things I sort of uh, know up front. Um, and I'm going to, I modified it a little bit for the, for the video podcast in the YouTube thread, I'm pasting the link where you can download the document from my website. It's a document that I make public. Can you see my screen? Yeah, we see it. Okay. So, um, I'm just going to parse out the questions that I, I ask people up front and that will help me maybe not so much with the psychology, uh, but just kind of help me understand what they're thinking. Uh, one of them is I definitely ask, right? I mean, we, I don't assume I ask, you know, have you worked with other accountants in the past, external bookkeepers, financial advisors? Yes or no. No. May I know who they are? Sometimes they'll give you the name. Sometimes they won't. Um, and just kind of go through that and then ask what kind of work have they done? You have to ask this because a lot of us, you know, our customers come and say, Oh, I want to switch accountants or I'm tired of my old accountant. But we fail to ask, what did they do? Or what, what were they engaged to do? Right. We just make assumptions that they do the same thing we do. And it's not always the case. So you want to ask what type of work have they done before? So that will give you a whole bunch of information. The other um, question you want to ask immediately is what have you liked from working with a previous professional? So you want people to tell you what they liked about it, right? So we like the price. We like the response time. We liked the presentation of the reports. Mm-hmm. We liked the fact that they were knowledgeable. We liked that we never got a penalty, whatever it happens to be. And then you move into what did you dislike? So what did you dislike about working with them? And this is not to get personal about how they screwed up. You just want to know. You want the customer to say it. I dislike the fact that I didn't get any advice on X or Y or whatever. And they're telling you up front, everything they disliked about the other person is what they're going to dislike about you if you don't do it for free. Okay, And that's just a really important piece of this whole component. So if they mentioned three things they disliked, uh, they didn't get respond to me quick enough. I had a tax question. I was in the, in the car dealership on a Sunday and I wanted to decide whether I should lease or buy. And I called his cell phone and he didn't answer. And it was crucial for me to decide, right? They, they're going to tell you that. And they, they're telling you preemptively, these are the things that I'm going to expect for you to do. Then I ask, how often do you expect? I don't say you want to. Do you expect to have a conversation with your accountant or external bookkeeper? I got to tell you, the more often you have conversation with your clients, the least likely you will have any scope creep. Scope creep almost happens when there's lack of communication, when there's lack of conversation. Because when you talk to them all the time, you can psychologically, and Andrew was talking about the psychology, you can psychologically start understanding what is it that they're getting into. So for example, I'll give you a classic example. The customer, you start, you're talking to them and they're telling you three months ahead that they're gonna start selling in Amazon. Well, before the scope creep happens, when they say, oh, by the way, help me solve this multi-state sales tax issue that I have now, right? Which will be clearly a scope creep. 
You could tell them preemptively, by the way, before you get into Amazon, let's discuss what is it going to entail in terms of sales tax, because we're going to have to have a proactive sales tax plan for this, and we're going to have to uh, charge you for this, or we can offer you a training service and we'll train you on how to do it. But you can tell this stuff beforehand. So a lot of the scope creep is just lack of communication. So, so do I, you build in a big scope for communication? Yes, of course. But by the way, what does that look like? The well, we we talk once a month for a couple hours. <laughs> that's what that, that's that's what that looks like. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what the nature of your question is. And the, 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 is, is this document, is this what you're sharing? Is this like a part of the sales process or is this like an onboarding, you know, once you is, have them? Is no, this is a sales process. I, sales process yeah. but by the way, on, there's no questions being asked on onboarding, right? On, the only question you ask is, where would you like me to place the file? What password should we put here? Onboarding, it's, you're already onto the work. This is the sales process. You can't. You, you cannot give a price for a service or estimate a service until you understand these things. This is all sales process. Like, I, honestly, I don't even know what onboarding means because to me, onboarding, it's I'm already working, right? I'm a, uh, all the expectation is set beforehand. So um, do you have another question or can I go? Well, I just want to say you are a psychologist. Uh, I am a psychologist, <laughs> right? So um, how, how fast do you expect a phone call? By the way, you need to ask, you need to ask this. How fast do you expect a callback? Because I gotta tell you, from my experience, I'm not I'm not paying lip service to the industry. From my experience, my problem with customers in the 12 years I've been doing this, it's always been speed of response. Because we always have the answer or we can always find the answer. You know, this your 83B question, you could have found the answer. You just had to spend four hours researching to then give them the answer, yes or no, right? Mm -hmm. so, so the reality is it, their engagement did not have within, this, within the scope built-in value for us to be able to make capacity to give them that response within the day. So instead you gave them some answer like, oh, you're not ready for, uh, look, I, I'm not criticizing you or Michael, but, but Michael was saying, you're a small company. What are you doing dealing with 83B? That's, a, that's, that's the worst response you can give because you are all, you're almost putting down the fact that they are trying to be proactive with doing things right, paying, you know, deferring in taxes. They're doing things that are potentially high value. The disconnect is that they're expecting you to do it for free. That's the problem. But, but the fact that they're doing it, that's not a problem. I mean, we, God bless our customers that want to get informed. They may, they may get ill-informed or they may ask for advice from the wrong people, but God bless them for trying to get informed, trying to understand and doing the research. That's why I said most people that are low budget don't even make the time to even quote a code section. So every time a customer comes to me with, hey, section 1031 exchange, I ask, hey, where did you read about that? Right? When they say, oh, my cousin said it, or then I don't care what they said. But if they said, oh yeah, I read it on the IRS website, I'm interested to talk to this customer because Mr. Customer, it looks like you're interested on the tax code. Would you like us to discuss this in a deep way? Would you like us to do tax planning? Do you want me along with you in the journey of understanding taxes? Yes, so, but you also have to have a customer that values that service, right? Yeah, so they'll value it when you send value. That's, the point. that's why you send them an invoice. That's why you give, but that's why you give it a price tag. Right, right? and I did, and then he fired us. And that's, and that's fine. And that's, <laughs> and that's totally okay. 
that's totally okay. I mean, I, I have no issue. I have no qualms with that. And, and I'm not criticizing it. I think that's probably the way it was going to go anyway. It doesn't, oh, agreed. It doesn't sound like there was a, there was a work. I asked a hypothetical question. What could we have done before six months late, uh, earlier? Just great to question. go through the mental exercise of how can we prevent these problems from happening? Look, I, I have an extremely happy and satisfied customer base. But with that, I have 5% that defect. It, it has to happen. I raise my prices every year. I get better and better every year, right? I, I'm a human being. I learn from every mistake that I make. I am, I am progressively better every day of my life. It is expected for me to raise my price, get more valuable, and try to charge my clients more. It's normal to lose customers. That's totally okay. Um, so I, I, wanna, I just want to add one more thing before we, uh, before we close here. There's two really important questions that I ask that to me have been, I think, that just the very best things you can ask. One of them is, what are some of the things that we can do or forget to do that would be deal breakers for our relationship? I, I don't think enough accountants ask that. You need to ask that because I'm going to tell you, it, whatever answer comes after that, it is 80% of the information that you need to know about the next three years of your engagement. What are some of the things that we can do or forget to do that would be absolute deal breakers for our relationship? So if your customer says, and, and, and if you're interested, I can tell you the plethora of answers I've gotten from this, which is, has been the most fun part of this journey. So one of them has been, if you discuss with any of my friends or colleagues or people that know me, my financial situation. And I'm like, is that it? That's, your, that's the only deal breaker? Yes. And then you want to say, let me ask you a question. Has someone else in your, in your past has divulged financial information? And then they come back and tell you, well, as a matter of fact, this happened. And that, that story has the most amount of, it will tell you a lot about that person's relationship with other people, their personality, their paranoia, and most scope creep and relationship problems derive from all that stuff, right? Complexures of grandeur and paranoia and scope creep and bad relationships that they have with other people. So this key question, I got to tell you, just implement it as part of your sales process. What are some of the things that we can do or forget to do that would be absolute deal breakers? You, get, you will get other answers like, well, you cannot answer my phone when I call you. Uh-huh. That customer just gave you a golden piece of information that you need to unpack what do you mean? Like, how quickly do you need me to answer my phone? And they'll Hector, give you the are answer. you married? Yes. Four kids. <laughs> Did you give this survey to your wife? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. I did not. I, 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 I mean, that should have been part of the sales process. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I would have. I would have. I, but I, I wasn't that good at asking questions back then. The only oh, question okay. I, I knew how to ask is, would you be my wife? And I could. That was the only qualifier question. Right. <laughs> if you agree, I agree. Um, so, so that's just a really, and then the other one, I think it's really important and, 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 and it needs to be asked this way. How important is it that we guarantee a result? And by the way, the context is you talked about that result, right? Because that result could have been, like Michael said, it's a monthly financial statement or the result could be a tax return or the result is whatever else it happens to be. But you want, you want to say, how important is it that we guarantee a result? Not our service is the best because we guarantee our results. You never want to say that because what you have done is you have committed to a lot without knowing whether the customer values it or not. 
So when they tell you it would be very important that it would be very important that you guarantee this result. And then at that point, you want to unpack the result. And within that result is your scope. Okay, so in order to achieve this result, we need to be able to do this, 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 and that. And because we're guaranteed, we have to build in these four things. One, a monthly call about this. Two, uh, we have to charge you for written tax advice. Three, and it allows you to communicate that stuff up front. So anyway, that that my document, it's it's available. There's a lot of interesting questions there. This one's really good. I think I like asking this one. Do you want a specific list of narrowly defined sets of services or are you looking for a broad or a dynamic scope of work? I like that question too, because the client will say, well, define a broad and dynamic scope of work. And then you can say a third party story. For example, I had a customer like yours that we agreed to do this. And then in the middle of the year, they had one really big issue where they were getting divorced and they needed a lot of advice for me to talk to their lawyer about the entire financial situation. And they asked me 20, 20 questions per hour about you know, what, what do my assets look like to the other lawyer? How do I protect myself, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something that I could not scope for because no one ever uh, hires me saying, by the way, I may get divorced in the next three years. So I may need extensive accounting work to go with it, right? That never happened. So you tell a story like that where the customer goes, and by the way, that's a made up story. That's never happened. But you can, made up stories are the best way to illustrate a point. And then they come back and say, hmm, that's interesting. Like that, a whole bunch of other things could potentially happen. And then the customer will say at that point, and all the customers react, well, I think that could happen. I think I could have a random thing come up and I may need your help. And I tell my customer, do you want me to charge you for that up front or would you like me to give you a price when it comes up? And they always say, no, 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 I'm cool. Give me a price when it comes up. And they have just given you open license for you to price every single piece of out of scope work. But you have to have the conversation before, like this doesn't happen magically uh, afterwards. And I got to tell you, I, I do this exercise with only the biggest engagements, with the biggest clients, with the little stuff. I tend not to have this conversation. And we always tend to have a scope problems, but the little ones I don't care about losing, which alluding back to what I said earlier, I'm okay with losing them. I didn't, you know, I didn't place all my stock on me being able to get paid from that customer for me to move forward. But on the big ones, the ones that I, I've shift major resources to work around because they're paying the big bucks. I need to have those deep conversations that way they have to give me a license to price out of scope work. Do you do and this always predict divorces? Yeah, say that again, Liz. Liz. Yeah. And be able to predict divorces. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, well, I, would I mean, say, I look, would that, that, hang on a second. Divorce, 50% of marriages end up in divorces, right? Isn't that like the statistic? So if yeah. you have a if you have a customer that is married and you have a hundred customers that are married, within your lifetime, half of them will get divorced. Now, that's not always an accounting issue, <laughs> but in my experience, in my experience, I've had to get involved many a times with the mediation of the information flow that goes to attorney A, attorney B, right? And, and I'm the we can witness. We a whole episode about that. Oh, we can. And, and by the way, not all divorces are marriage divorces. We're talking about partnership divorces too, right? Quite a few of those. But many, many a times. And, and, and I, every time I have a partnership divorce, especially 50-50, 50-50 are the worst. Uh, three ways are actually 
much easier to deal with because we got Freeways the are easier to deal with. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> depending on which one, I guess. We, we're, Hector's, we're Hector's about to cause a, a podcast divorce here tonight <laughs> yeah. on the show. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but, but like, you know, it, it's the podcast is Michael, uh, Andrew and I, it's a three way. It's easier because you got the, <laughs> Tell two me about one, it. you got the two, one vote. The two, one vote is a powerful thing. You know, my partnership with my two partners in my business, it's a, it's, it's, it's three of us. The 50-50 problem always happens because in a 50-50, there's, there's a lot of unspoken stipulations that everyone takes half the load, right? And half the load, it's a very personal and subjective concept, right? Very. And every single person thinks that they've taken 80% of the load on both sides, like both, like when I speak to all both partners, they're like, I do all the work, he does nothing. And now I go back to that person, I do all the work, he does nothing. And then you're literally in the middle of that problem. So, so as, three as a, ways solve everything. See, a three way <laughs> solve the, solves the problem. So, so divorces are not all, also not only men and wife, it's also partnerships. And, and that's really what I meant by the potential messiness of that. And if you, in the sales process, no one ever thinks about exit. I always think about exit. When someone starts a business and they come to me for business advice, the first thing I say is, what happens if this guy dies? Mm-hmm. Or what happens if this guy moves to Spain? What happens if this guy loses interest in doing this anymore? What is, what's your move? Well, we, we didn't think about that. I would say, Hector, uh, uh, I would say that list you shared, it, it's, it's, it, it's cool. Half that list would drive me and my sales guy crazy. I'm just going to tell you that much. Uh, and we're willing to take the risk kind of like you're willing to take the risk of scope creep on small clients. We're willing to take the risk on not dealing with those, the answers to those questions, mainly to not hinder our growth rate. We just don't care, right? We're willing to deal the risk on scope creep on enough of those because we want to keep our growth rate continuing at, at, at this rate. It, those, are, those are good questions to have a thorough client. They're also great questions to slow down growth. That's just the, the reality yeah. of it. I think and, it has to do with firm positioning. So Michael, your firm is positioned as we're going to help all of the United States get clean books, right? When that's your position, you have, you're in acquisition mode. You're trying to pick the right clients. You're trying to make sure that you, you define what you're going to do. And then if something you know, goes out of scope, you can have that conversation. But in my case, I position myself as an advisor. I have a podcast called The Art of Advisory. I'm writing a book called The Art of Advisory. I put the word advisor everywhere. I talk about my job is to help my customers take vacations. That's an advisor, right? So my positioning, my brand is you're not going to leave me because of some trivial bookkeeping scope problem. Right? You're going to leave me because we have existential differences in opinion on major business issues. Right. Right. But, but it all depends on like if you're listening and watching to this and debating on whether you, know, you should take my approach or Michael's approach, it has to do with what's the growth mode of your firm. I like to grow with bigger customers, more complex customers, little by little. Michael's trying to you know, solve America's bookkeeping problems. Right. <laughs> so, so we have two different approaches. And, and I think either one is fine. If you take Michael's approach, just be okay with losing customers. Like that's it. I mean, that's, that's, that's. So Hector, what's your normal life cycle of a client? How long does a client normally stay with you? Two and a half years. I've done, I've done the math. Michael? Already. Yeah, it's no what's different. Yours? That's no different. It's okay. Yeah, it's just the same. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. but, but one thing yeah. is we pride ourselves 
on on having clients leave us right? on good terms, right? <laughs> on good terms, <laughs> on, on good terms, right? Because so you said we, you're a travel agent and you pride yourself right. when clients leave. Okay. No, no. <laughs> I get it. Particularly because when my client when my clients leave me in good terms, it's because they don't need another accountant. Because I've trained the CFO, the bookkeeper, they can take care of everything themselves. They can even file their own tax returns because their books are so damn clean that they only need me. They don't, they're not my client anymore. They're just basically on demand. They don't need me for handholding anymore. That's my ultimate goal is to hand the power of accounting back to the accountants. So you're in, running an education business. It, it kind of is. In, in many ways, I actually would love to dismantle the whole accounting industry because it's a whole bunch of bollocks. Like the fact that someone pays someone else to do data entry for the sensitive financial information is the most ridiculous thing out there. Accounting should be done in-house. Like in every country on earth, right? People always have an in-house accountant. America and Canada is the only place on earth where people outsource their accountants. It is absolutely insane. One of my goals is to bring that back in-house. Now, I can't bring tax research in-house because that's complicated. You need a professional for that. I can't bring long-term corporate structure strategy in-house. You need a professional for that. But a lot of the stuff that we do, reconcile the books, pay bills, integrate apps, that should not be done by a third party. I mean, that's what I believe. Unfortunately, the reality is people want to use a third party and we make money with that. That is our business. But my goal- so, I disagree with you that America is the only place where that happens. <laughs> um, it's outsourced all over the world. And no, that's no, no, no. Well, I, I think we yes. can. I, th I think <laughs> I think we may have to define certain. Okay, Let, let's define some terms. And it, calling define, the keepers data entry people is probably not the. the, the well, truth. I'm not calling. No, that's not what I said. Don't put words in my mouth. I didn't say bookkeepers are data entry people. I'm saying they're doing data entry. <laughs> I'm, 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 it's a two different things. What I'm saying is, for example, in my home country, which right now is like super poor, every company has an internal accountant. It's like you can't have a business without an internal accountant. An internal accountant is a function within the business, just like a, a salesperson and a manager and an operator. An internal accountant is a function inside of a business. Every business needs to have an internal controller. The challenge is, especially in the small business arena, is that companies tend not to have enough cash flow or money to pay a decent person $80,000 a year to be the internal controller. So it becomes more cost-effective to pay $500,000, $1,500 a month to an outside third, uh, company that can do essentially the same work at a fraction of the price. I understand that, but I believe in the power of handling your accounting in-house. And, I, and, I, and a, a lot of countries, I'll, I'll take back what I said, not every country, there were a lot of countries, this is the norm. They have an internal accountant, an internal controller. I can count with my fingers the number of customers when I first started my bookkeeping firm that had an internal controller because they're looking to outsource the bookkeeping. So I like to work with companies that find value on running accounting in-house. And I, I'm, I become the transition to that. So when I say I like for them to leave me, is because they left me for the right reasons. That's why, why I say it like that. And, and even with that, I have customers that I've had for 12 years. You know, they just never got big and, and they can never make that step where they can afford an internal controller. But that's really what I meant by that. And, and a lot of these stuff like data entry 
or whatever. These are things that I want to teach them how to automate themselves, right? But a professional bookkeeper has a place or has had a place for a very long time. But I, I still think that those professional bookkeepers could, could do more complex work and teach their clients to do the simple stuff. And, and, and in many ways, they need to position themselves for that because technology is going to set the expectation that customers can do this in-house. But whether the, Well, technology is going to facilitate the basic entry mm-hmm. part of right, it right. and facilitate the majority of what um, is happening at the base level, but it will never replace the role of an advisor. And you said something earlier about really positioning yourself as an advisor and then said that you think this should all be done in-house. And I think that those are two contradictory thoughts because mm-hmm. as an advisor that sees many different businesses and has this depth and breadth of knowledge, you're able to provide way more advice to your clients and help then they would be able to attract an internal talent person to do. And so they might be able to get an operator for accounting internally, but they will never get the mm. knowledge that you have and they will never get the advice that they would at a higher level with an outsourced solution. They're not, they're not contract. They're, they're not contradicting. They're actually mutually inclusive because the customer has an internal controller and because they got their shit together they can call me and within three minutes, I can give them the advice of their lifetime just by looking at financial statements and having clear data. The challenge is that right now for me to give good advice, I have to spend six hours reviewing the books. Then I can give the good advice. That's the problem that we have is that now I have to somehow increase the price of my advisory work to include all the stuff that should have been done by them. And they should have that information clear in front of them. So when I tell them, hey, remember that big change in fixed assets you had six months ago? And the customer goes, yes, of course. We have monthly meetings about our numbers. Okay, this is my advice. The challenge is that the advice, which is the most valuable piece, has to be mixed with a whole bunch of stuff that I think customers have an opportunity to do in-house. So I'm not, I, I'm not saying that when they do it in-house, they don't, they don't need an advisor anymore. What I mean is that they know exactly what they need the advisor for and things don't get convoluted. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, I want to wrap this up with letting Andrew, quiet, humble Andrew, have the last word here and help us uh, wrap I, the show. I guess my last word is, um, you know, uh, I think we had a great conversation. Liz, I love how you're willing to challenge anybody. Oh, yeah, I love uh, you. I love, I, I, love, I love your innuendos. You've won us over with those. Um, <laughs> and great world of experience. I hope we'll have you back. Uh, Hector, you talked a lot about being focused on exit, uh, but with four kids, clearly you're more focused on entry than you are on exit. And maybe we should just end it on that. There you go. I'll make sure to edit that out for the podcast. But yeah, well, thanks. Hey, Liz, genuinely, thank you for joining us. You yeah, added a, a lot. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I hope uh, I'm, I hope you're, you're welcome back. And thanks, Hector, for letting us join join the show. Um, we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon at night. Bye, thank guys. you, Liz. Nice Bye, to be- guys. Yeah, thank you, guys. Bye. Bye.